Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Ada. And I'm Thibaut. Every two weeks, we interview top leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We are on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to submit your questions and guest suggestions, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io slash TSC. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. So welcome everyone to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. Uh, so today I'm going to talk about the type of person I often don't really talk into a podcast, but very often into a customer call. Uh, so it's Julio Cesar Faure, who's the partner at Blaze Information Security. Julio, welcome to the show. Hey, Tibo. Thanks for having me. So how are you doing today? I'm all doing, doing all right. I've also like, been like pretty busy lately, and, and I'm very happy to, to be a guest here in your show. Yeah, I'm super happy to have you. So for the quick story, um, before we go into the topic where we're going to talk about uh, selling to technical buyers, uh, we met, you know, with you and uh, and Vilberto like about a year ago, and we did the training together. And uh, and so like it was it was really nice to have you on the show. We're not going to talk about the results of the training. Um, things have been going well, but we're going to talk more about how you uh, sell to technical buyers because that's what you're doing. So can you maybe tell me a bit more about your background in sales uh, and what you're doing at Blaze Information Security? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, like my background in sales is actually pretty non-existent. Uh, I've had very few, um, like very few encounters, let's say, with uh, more like formal kind of sales training. My actual background is uh, I'm I've always been involved in the security community for the past like 20 years or so. I have uh, a master's in information security and I have like also background in computer science. So this is actually my background. But then it turns out that uh, after we started the business uh, a couple of years ago, so like five and a half years ago, we had the need to actually learn some of techniques and and to figure out like a workflow for us in terms of sales, because in the end of the day, it doesn't matter, like you're the best hackers around, but then if you don't have a good um, like sales coming in, like it's just not worth it uh, to have a company. So yeah, this is basically where we got like some, a little bit of background in sales, but it's more uh, something very ad hoc, I would say, uh, but it has nothing really to do with my, with my actual background. Okay. Okay. I see. And so, uh, so yeah, you basically, then you learned like a lot of people just doing it and you, you're good at like, uh, uh, more like the technical aspect of, uh, you know, like security, cybersecurity, but selling is not really maybe like something you, you were, you know, say, okay, I'm going to have to do it and, uh, and be good at, but you just like found a way to be good at. And can you maybe tell me a bit more about like the, the type of buyers you're, you're dealing with who are typically the people who are buying your services and what are you selling uh yeah sure uh so what we are selling is like we are a cybersecurity consultancy firm and so a lot of what we sell 
testing and application security uh, assessments. Uh, so, like, given like that, like uh, this background on, on what we sell, we mostly sell to uh, like well, customers, like firms that do take cybersecurity seriously. So it happens that a lot of our buyers, like in the end of the day, actually, who signs the check is not necessarily firm who is uh, technical, but a lot of our buyers, or at least we found that uh, you know throughout the years, in the past like five years or so uh, of a company, that a lot of the people that um, saw our work is very interesting and it's something that could really bring uh, value to them, were actually not necessarily the, the security managers or the cybersecurity chief officers or something like that, but instead the champions. So the champions in the uh, of this companies, you know, that they are, say, the cybersecurity engineers or senior engineer that has some good contact with, uh, with management, these are actually the people that usually, let's, they're not necessarily the ones that actually buy our work, but they are the ones that bring us on board and put us in the table with the managers. And this way, convince the managers that we're good enough. And this is where we got uh, most of the work we do. Okay, I see. So you have a strategy where you're mostly talking to your, as you said, your champion, your user buyer, and then you know you build the use case internally, so then they can go and sell it to the kind of decision maker, right? Precisely. Uh, we at least uh, very rarely do go speak directly with uh, the decision maker. We very rarely do go speak uh, directly with CISO or directly with the with the senior director of security. Usually we do have uh, like conversations uh, with, again, like the senior engineer, for example. Uh, it, it takes a while for sure. It's definitely a bit longer than longer sales cycle than, than the average. But by the time you are sitting on the table with the director of security and the guy who actually would do the, the decision, you already have convinced at least half of his team that, that you're worth it. So your job will be now to convince the other half. So at least it removes like some 50% of the work in, in the end of the day, because people already vouch for you internally. Uh, and this is actually a hell lot better than just knocking on the door and kind of, hey, look, I'm trying to sell something. and yeah yeah i see and so so what, what are the typical problems you're solving for so let's say about your your champions so we maybe you can think about the champions first and then the kind of primary target or or above the line buyer so what is the problem you're solving for them yeah i, I think for the champions the primary problem that we're solving is that in many cases the champions are working with our suppliers that they are not super happy with so it happens very often that the champions come to us and say, hey, look, we are working with company A, with company B and company C, and we definitely not have P working with company A and C, for example. So we want to switch suppliers uh, and it's been a pain for us working with these guys. So we want to onboard new ones, but we want to onboard new ones that can work together very closely with us. So this is actually one of the, the problems that the champions have. Uh, and then the problem that the, the the, the above the line buyers have is well like the the general problems that they have with with cybersecurity whether it's compliance whether it is because the board tell them that well we have to be um, 
doing investment in cybersecurity and the overall uh, things that, that will come with uh, preventing cyber threats and, and, and so on in an organization. But I would say that in this case, we do have uh, two, two different um, type of problems that we're solving. Uh, for the champions, it's definitely the, the fact that they want to work with a company that they feel that, that they feel they're like in a partnership, that they feel that it's going to be easy for them to, to work with. And for for management, you know, all the other problems related to cybersecurity that management have to tackle. Okay, I see. So a lot of our listeners are not really experts in cybersecurity. Um, obviously, like the, let's say, life of a lot of people has moved a lot online. What are the major threats you're helping with? So because for me, if you tell me cybersecurity, I have no clue. I mean, I just don't really understand what, what that means. Um, so what are the kind of like major threats you're helping with? Oh, so, uh, well, there's actually like a bunch of things that, that we, uh, that we do, but as I said, uh, I would say like bread and butter of what we sell is mostly penetration testing and, and application security. So for example, uh, let's say you're building a new FinTech. Uh, so FinTech, the, the issues that they will have with cybersecurity are, they want to prevent data leakages. They want to prevent fraud from happening. Um, they want to, to make sure that they want to pre uh, preserve the reputation to, they don't want to see that, oh, you know, feedback X, Y, Z got hacked and, and so on. So these are the things that we help them to, to improve the, the posture of their security systems by trying to basically hack into it, to find the vulnerabilities before the bad guys do. So this is mainly what we do for, for a living. Okay. So you're hacking, but on behalf. So make sure you do it before the bad guys find it, basically. Yeah, that's correct. But uh, this is one of the part of our work, which is uh, what, I, what I like to call security assurance. And then there's another line of the work, which is more security engineering, which is uh, helping them to build a product or build systems with security um, embedded into it. So let's say, oh, we're building um, this new, say, core banking system from scratch. But we want you guys to come in and be the security experts since the very beginning. Not only the testing, not only the hacking side of things, but actually helping build it with security uh, inside. So this is also something that, uh, that we have been actually doing uh, quite often lately. Okay. Okay, I see. I see. And so can you maybe... Talk to me and walk me through like your typical sales process from uh, the first call you're having with your customers to the closing and having the contract signed. How does it work for you? Uh, yeah, so I think there is probably like a, a bit of two distinctions here. Uh, it depends on, on how the, the lead uh, comes. Uh, we get a lot of referrals. A lot of the work we do, I would say maybe some 80% of the work we do uh, is through referrals or through wild leads. So in, in this way, when is a referral is actually a lot easier because, because like basically whoever referred us to already pretty much sold us to, to, to the company. You know? So by the time we just uh, sit and have a conversation uh, with, uh, with the prospect, um, you know, like in a, in a preliminary discovery call, it's mostly to actually understand uh, what they have because, again, uh, when it's an inbound lead, they mostly come already with a problem to solve. 
So we are not really trying to convince anybody to solve a problem with us. They already have a problem uh, and they're just looking for someone to solve it. Uh, so this is actually already half of the work done really. Yeah. Uh, by the time they come, so we usually sit together like to make, basically make a quick presentation um, uh, about the company, but nothing really with PowerPoint slides or anything. I like to keep it very conversational and, um, but, but also, yeah, it's important to do like in this so-called discovery call, right? That salespeople uh, say uh, to do like some sort of qualification of, of the lead. Again, in many cases, when it's an inbound lead, it's often already kind of qualified. Uh, but then say this is uh, like an, an outbound that we managed to, to land on a meeting with. So do some sort of qualification. Uh, I like the BANT process. However, I don't like to go through the checklist of BANT. Yeah. I prefer, again, to keep it very conversational. Uh, instead of asking questions from BANT in a very direct way, like, for example, oh, are you the budget holder or something like that? Yeah. I usually like to be more subtle to ask, like, oh, anybody else from your team should be involved in these conversations, for example. So maybe, and then the person might hint, yeah, my manager should be involved in the second conversation we have, for example. So you, you can do BANT without really going through the checklist in the, you know, in a known you know, in that very structured way, I really don't don't like it. But then again, I I understand that it's important to to do the qualification, um, going through one of those one of those frameworks. Uh, and then after that, uh, basically, we do like a, a few follow ups. Like in many cases, uh, they are very upfront and say that oh, our decision will not be made until say Q two or Q three. So we just like do some short follow ups uh, until there. And then basically get the codes and, and contract signed if everything goes well. But I think one of the things that I probably should mention, I forgot to, to mention, is the is the fact the, that when we are dealing with uh, with like customers, like doesn't matter if it's like an old customer or, or a new customer, we have a very white glove approach when it comes to our to our proposals, to our codes. They're very, very tailor-made, they're very custom. Uh, and customers really see that that thing was actually made for them. Uh, it, it's not something generic, you know, that you go on Salesforce and just type in the name of the company and then you generate a proposal. No, we really, uh, when we do like a technical scoping of the work, we really go like deep dive into, into the needs of the customer. We bring all of that into our notes and we build uh, a proposal really um, really tailored for, for the needs, uh, for the problem that the customer um, said on the call. And, and I think this is actually one of the reasons why we have a very high um, rate when it comes to, to, closing, uh, to closing deals. I would say that at least for inbound, we, have, we don't have that much inbound, but what we do is like 85% close, which is, uh, and, and I think I attribute that uh, a lot to, to these very custom codes that, that we do have. Okay, okay, I see. I mean, I really like the process because as you said, like you have this kind of qualification call, you obviously have a lot of referrals that are coming, not so many inbound, but like when they come, they, they close well. Then you really, as you said, you're not like trying to go and say, hey, you know, what's your budget? Who is the authority? What's the need and the timeline? You really go and, you know, have band in mind, but uh, you use mm -hmm. that to kind of uh, qualify. 
then you go into like provide the value. And then I have to say, you know, I've seen your offers, I've seen your statement of works. Yeah, as you said, really first tailor-made. So it's something you make with, uh, with the, um, uh, the customer. And, uh, and also they're super beautiful because you have like a nice kind of visual identity. Um, and so I think, I think that's a very interesting process. And uh, what is really, for me, we've trained together last year. What is very interesting is that you have a natural process that is naturally like working well because you're not, hey, we are the leader in this or whatever. You really try to get the conversation, get them to talk about why they're here with you. Um, plus you're doing a great job. Things are going great for you. So I talk sometimes with some startups that are software as a service. And the, the illusion a lot of people have with software as a service is that because you are selling a subscription model, you will be successful, but it's really about the product and the value you provide. And in your case, it seems like there's a really strong need from all your customers. There's really strong value you provide. And then it's kind of like uh, uh, translating into referrals, which are really, really much simpler to actually close. So I think it's uh, it's really interesting to th see that. And, and that's one key topic about sales is like, if you have a terrible product or a terrible solution, you can be an excellent salesperson. That's going to be really hard to sell and be successful. But if you have a great solution like you do, things are always easier. So I think in sales, it's also about finding the right product, the right thing to sell. And when it works, then it's so much simpler. No, that's true. Uh, and actually, uh, I definitely do attribute like over half of the success that we have been experiencing uh, to the actual, to the technical team. They are the ones that actually do a great job and all the referrals come in. But, uh, but yeah, like just, just another thing that, um, I forgot to to say, um, like, yeah, you know, like, I think one thing that I've heard from from many customers is that the the least uh, salesy you are, uh, the more successful you can be with technical people, uh, because uh, tech people are well, they're like they're geeks, they're nerds, they're people that are not necessarily the most uh, social uh, of the people. I mean, actually, many of them are, but but it's not that they're going to be super um, super keen to actually have a conversation uh, with like salesperson using like all these tricks, you know, with Bunt and Netpeak and and all that. So the, the less salesy you are, the more relaxed, the more conversational that, that you are with them. I think there is actually a much higher chance of success um, and that, that you might achieve. Like I even recently, I think a couple of months back, uh, I was in a conversation with um, with a prospect and, and actually in my sales guy. And in the end of the call, the guy actually thanked us. Like, uh, I just wanted to thank you guys for actually having like a very relaxed sales call with me without pressuring me on yeah. you know, what's a timeline, what's a budget and, and things like that. The guy was like super chill. Uh, and, and yeah, and I think we, um, yeah. And we're probably going to close that at some point. Yeah. Can you tell me what being salesy mean? What is being salesy for you? Oh, I think like, um, you know, as I said, like using all this, uh, these tricks of, um, you know, like coming up with, like, because like there, there's kind of, like, at least my understanding from, from the formal sales trainings that, that I've taken, um, there is uh, a lot of these kind of, tactics and, and techniques and, and even some even like you know things like NLP and and so on so there, there's a lot of this kind of like a little psychological games and and, and manipulation that, that happens 
you know, in trigger words for for things and and so on. So and also, I really think that uh, at least when you sell to a technical buyer, like they're really not uh, happy with with that. Uh, I remember like being in a sales call like in the past. Uh, where something like this actually popped, you know, uh, uh, and and then the guy on the other side said, "Look, you guys were doing great until you started to to ask me these things about budget and timelines and so on." And the guy said, "Like, look, what if timelines not now? Like, I mean, are you going to reject me as a customer if I come back to you in some three months? You won't. So why are you asking me this? You know." So the guy was actually he, he even like got like a bit confrontational. Um, the call, so so I just jumped in to diffuse the situation, and then I th- and then and, and then things like uh, flowed um, a bit like a bit better, like a bit. Smoother. But then again, you can ask all these questions from Bunt without being uh, with without being like so upfront or without being so aggressive. Like for example, one of the things I like to to say instead of asking, "Oh, can you be transparent to tell me what your budget is?" I prefer like a thousand times to ask. Uh, not to ask, but to, to basically uh, to basically ask, but in a way that I'm actually making more like a statement, saying, "Oh, like from our experience, we have seen that you know, customers like yourself that do have required like a similar kind of work, they usually do invest between X and, and Y for for this kind of service. This is something that uh, you know makes sense to you, and then you can actually get like a much better reaction yeah. uh, than than when you ask somebody upfront uh, the budget." Some people will be happy to tell you, but the vast majority of them won't, really. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that when you are like more subtle, you can probably get better better responses. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I think you know, like uh, as you said, people don't really like being sold; they like buying. And I think it's really about ma- mastering the right tools. So NLP is one tool, but it's really like manipulative, you could say. And also, it's it's a bit this. Uh, you know, I think it's. We, we always you use that, but I'm not really sure it's that efficient. You know, it doesn't really work. All these things It's kind of like, that's not what makes people make decisions. They, one thing I found works working really well for budget is instead of talking about a budget or whatever, is finding what's the size of their problem. So what's the cause? Why are they talking with you? What is the initiative or what is the problem they are trying to solve? And what's the size of it? And if you have a 1 million euro problem, like having a, something that costs 100,000 to fix it makes total sense. You know, so that's why asking what's your budget, I think, is a ridiculous, ridiculous question, because first of all, if you're talking to someone who has decision power, they don't have budget, they make budget, they take money from one place to put it and solve a problem. And so I think that's that's really the thing is uh, and what you see with methodologies like Medic or Bant or whatever, is that the questions are just like super formatted and, you know, people are trying to sell you something or asking you this kind of really uh, car salesman question. So, uh, and and people are not dumb, you know, we know when someone is asking us like one of these calibrated questions that is, um, you know, made to kind of like make you say yes, and we just all hate that. So I think that's, uh, that's, that's a good one in there. Technical buyers, I think are more uh, sensitive to that, but everyone is at some level, I would say. Um, So I have a question like, uh, in terms of questions you ask to your customers, what are the typical questions you will ask them to start the conversation? Well, um, some of the typical questions, like one of the questions that I like to ask always, uh, not necessarily the first question or, or anything, 
But definitely the question that I always bring up is if they have done something like this before, if they are familiar with, uh, with cybersecurity services such as like penetration testing, for example, uh, because we can provide a bit of value in that. So if they say, oh, no, we have never done this before. So we can always uh, either do like, you know, through the call, maybe show them like um, a deliverable, how it looks like, you know, how a, a, a report would look like, what to expect. So we can actually guide them through the process uh, a bit. Uh, and I think this brings value because uh, it clears up a, bun a, a bunch of doubts that uh, a newcomer, let's say, a newcomer customer, let's say, would have. Um, uh, things that I also like to ask um, is actually a very important one, especially for upselling, uh, is what's the driver of, the, of why they're looking for these services? Because yeah. This industry has a lot of uh, compliance-driven uh, cybersecurity, but also there is uh, a lot of engineering-driven cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Those that are into compliance, they want, uh, like, say, a penetration test report that they just need to tick that box. You know, once yeah. a year they have to do it because the compliance department told them to do so, or whatever regulations they have to comply with. Or they have to show this to a customer. So these are typically customers that only do these investments because of compliance. So they would just do this once or twice a year. Okay. So uh, it, I would not say it doesn't make any sense to try to convince them to upsell. It does. But it's actually a lot harder to upsell to, to customers like this, that they are not really, uh, I mean, this is actually they know what they want and they just want to tick a box. And, and, and we are fine with that, like fair enough, that, that's completely okay with it. Uh, but then on the other hand, you have those that are more engineering driven. I mean, the security needs come from, from engineering. So those ones are like a lot easier for you to upsell because you can actually propose a bunch of other things that, that your organization can provide them with. Uh, so definitely uh, the driver of the penetration task uh, of of not only penetration tests, but like why they're looking for that, for that service, uh, gives you uh, a bit of leverage for for upselling, uh, more upselling than, than another one. Um, and, and I think yeah, like if they have done it before, uh, what the driver is. Uh, sometimes like some questions more related to things. For example, uh, well, we all know that uh, software development changed a lot in the past couple of years, and this old model of doing uh, security testing just once a year is not so effective. So you have say, a thousand developers pushing code on, on a weekly basis. So what are you guys doing to to, um, to plug the gap, you know, in this one year that you do things? So you have like a one year window of exposure. So what are you planning to do uh, to, to tackle this problem? So sometimes there's actually a problem that they are not really aware of. So they're kind of, oh, okay, so what can you actually offer to try to solve that? Yeah. So these are like some of the questions that, that I usually ask. But then again, I understand they are like a bit more technical questions uh, than the, probably the average that, that, uh, that, that let's say, a non-technical, a person doing sales with non-technical background would ask. But these are the, the typical questions that I definitely have in pretty much every uh, introduction or discovery yeah. call. Uh, that I do. I love that. I think what is great is that you're asking the cause. Why are they here? 
you know, like a lot of people are, are just going and say, hey, so we are the best company, 360 leading, whatever software. And then they just talk and talk and talk. In your case, it's like, have you done that already? And why are you even here? And this is where you find the cause. Like, what are they, you know, why are they here? And as you said, it's great for upselling because uh, you, then you have these kind of questions where they didn't even realize they had a problem and you can help them with this. So I think that's that's a very natural flow. And, uh, and and that's why you're, you're having so much success right now. So I think it's uh, very interesting to do that. Yeah. And in the end, it's really about having conversations, you know? So you lead with uh, some kind of tactical question, but you're having a conversation there. So really love that. Um, Julio, so I know you're looking for, you're growing like crazy. Uh, you're looking for, um, you know, like someone to help you in sales. So can you tell me about the plans for Blaze for 2021 and beyond? Uh, so uh, to give an, an, uh, an overview of what's what's coming up. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, like as you as you know, uh, we've always done uh, all the sales ourselves, like for like a long time, uh, both me and the two other partners. So we were the ones uh, mostly taking up uh, with sales. Uh, but then again, uh, we wanted to experiment with, with a few other things, such as uh, outbound, for example. And frankly, we don't really have the time. And I don't I'm not even that sure if we're good at it. Uh, so last year, so actually, it's been like maybe like some two and a half years that we decided to bring on um, salespeople to, to help us uh, with, you know, like with, with growing the company, with lending to like accounts that probably otherwise we would never lend uh, ourselves. Um, and we have had uh, some good experience with, um, with salespeople. So currently we only have two, but we're looking to at least hire like one uh, or two more uh, on a quite immediate basis let's say, uh, but we've had uh, other people in the past that unfortunately didn't really work out that well. And, and I think I, I probably attribute, I kind of, I say that sometimes I actually look back and I think uh, maybe they were not very successful because um, both myself and the other partners, we never really took any, um, any effective like sales training that we could actually help guide them. Or, or maybe they were just, not really good. I, I don't know. So I still I still have this uh, have these thoughts. If they if they fail because they they were just it was actually their problem or it was actually my fault in actually not guiding them. Um, but 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 yeah, like uh, our plans is actually to to grow kind of a bit more uh, in in terms of like sales team. I don't really envision our company having like an army of salespeople doing cold calls or, or anything like that. Uh, I, I don't really think this is much of our style, to be honest. I think that we are like more, you know, that small boutique niche uh, cybersecurity company that we got a lot of referrals um, because this is actually how, how it's been rolling pretty much for this past, um, for this past five years. But yeah, we're definitely looking to explore uh, with a few with, with extra uh, like people helping us uh, with sales and, and definitely really to, to, to experiment. Uh, but I think like the, the thing that I find the harder uh, people the most, uh, especially in the past couple of years that we were looking for salespeople that we finally found two that are actually pretty good, uh, is the fact that um, it, it's just like super hard to actually find um, 
find people that are good at selling and especially cybersecurity and can have the right conversation uh, with, with with the right people, you know. Um, yeah. Just to, to like a bit of like in the past and, and things I have seen. So well, before having my own company, I I work with uh, one of the largest cybersecurity companies in the world is an English company. Uh, and and they yeah, they do have like an army of, of salespeople. That's true. But uh, the best salespeople that I saw there, the ones that really, really thrived, uh, they had a very keen uh, enthusiasm in this in this area of, of cybersecurity. They were not necessarily technical people. They didn't have a technical background, but they were just curious, you know, they were very interested. And I recall very well, that uh, you know, in the building that we were working, there were like two separate rooms uh, where the account managers were. Uh, they were like on the upper floor. Uh, the, you know, account managers, business developers, SDRs, and so on. Uh, and in the lower floor were us, the techies. Uh, and then uh, I really recall that some of the most successful account managers, there was the one actually sitting on our floors. You know, they were actually coming downstairs, uh, in many cases, there, there were days that they were just getting a desk, sitting with us, um, and actually, you know, doing the all their, their work there, sitting with us, because they could hear what we were talking about. They could uh, ask us questions, you know? So like very often you would get like, an, a, like one of these good account managers, you know, coming up to you and say, hey, like, you know, can you show me this tool, what you're doing? Uh, can you, yeah, like, so is this the correct tool for this sort of problem, for example? Or can you explain a bit more the methodology, how you walk, you walk through this? Does it make sense if I say this and this and that to a client? Does it make technical sense? Um, and I really remember that at least these account managers, there took like a handful of them that were closer to, to us, you know, and were going for lunch with us and for coffee and so on. These guys were the killer ones. These guys were the ones that, even though, again, they don't have a technical background, but they were curious and they knew exactly what to speak with the customer. And those guys were the account managers for like Microsoft, for Dell, for, you know, for the really, really big tech accounts uh, that would be like any company would be jealous about. And these were the guys, you know, but not necessarily because they were technical people that converted into sales, but sorry, that you know, went into sales, but they were just like salespeople that were genuinely curious about the industry they were in and they were determined to know everything they could to have very meaningful conversation with the prospects. Yeah. I think that's a very good uh, observation here is like, I think successful salespeople nowadays are really people who are curious about the problems they are solving, you know, of the solution. So first of all, they have to be curious about the problem and be passionate about solving that. And um, let's be honest, you know, like we're not like all passionate by cybersecurity or whatever, but the conversations you're going to have around that, the problems you're going to solve is really something interesting. And so I think the, the people who should apply, you know, for these jobs at Blaze should be people who are first curious. Um, from what I understand, you also need some people who are quite independent. Uh, you're remote friendly, so you won't be on the back of them all the time. So you need people who know what they're doing, uh, who are curious and also passionate about solving the problem. So I think that's a very good observation is curiosity is actually one of the traits that is the one of the best indicator of success in sales, uh, at least in inside sales in tech. 
Um, because that's that's really about it. You find you're curious to find the problem, and then you're curious to know how you solve that. So I think that's a great observation there. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, I frankly don't believe that. You know, let's say this more like classic or traditional um, sales profile. Uh, you know that of you know, let's say you like a, a business developer or salesperson that. You believe that sales is all about uh, relationships. I mean, it definitely is. It's like half the equation, really. Uh, but those that only believe that um, this this is all about just like having coffee with a customer. But if you're not able to hold uh, like a two minute conversation about the area uh, that that you're in, you know, the industry that you're that you're selling for, that you the problems that most of your prospects do. You know, I'm not sure if this is actually the the, the right the, the right career for you. Um, at least, like I'm, I'm. It might be okay, but you're definitely not gonna thrive like some of these guys um, that I have seen in the past. And I take them as an inspiration, uh, and I try to to make sure that uh, all the 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 reps the the work with me share the same passion because I saw these guys doing great with like very large accounts. And I would like to, to repeat the same success here. Yeah, exactly. Good, perfect. So I think if we have people who listen to us, they know exactly what you're looking for. Um, so where can people get in touch with you or apply for this job? Oh, well, uh, on, well definitely LinkedIn. Uh, I'm, I'm there. I'm actually quite active, probably more than the than I wish I was, uh, but but yeah, like uh, there will be. Uh, I think it's there uh, on on my LinkedIn uh, with the, the open position, and also uh, you can get in touch with careers at blazingfulsack.com. As as Tibo said, like we are remote friendly. Uh, doesn't really matter uh, where you are, as long as is you good uh, and you can deliver. That's that that's just the the only thing that we're looking for. Okay, I'll put the link and everything in the show notes so people can get in touch with you. Um, but yeah, thanks, Julio, for coming and explaining us how you sell to technical people. Definitely a few uh, nuggets of really good value uh, because I got a lot of people coming and asking me, how do you sell to technical people? Is your sales stuff working with them? And uh, it's pretty much similar. It's just a bit more, you have to be more intentional. And uh, I think technical people are just more sensitive to uh, bad sales people. So if you're a bad sales person, it's going to be tough for you. Stay in car sales, salesman or insurance uh, selling, basically. Cool. So thank you, Julio. Uh, it was nice to have you and uh, have a good day. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear and you want to suggest a topic or a guest, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro a month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io/tsc.